Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Good evening, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our Bible study on Leviticus, and for those that are joining uh, on the podcast, for a lot of you these days. Um, welcome, and thanks for wrestling with the scriptures with us. Thanks for sending in your comments and uh, letting us know that you um, appreciate us. Because uh, I guess, even though we don't always know who you are, we appreciate you guys as well. The kingdom of heaven is so big, so vast, and so full of variety. The Spirit is present, and Rocky from Seattle is going to, uh, to lead us in prayer. Take it away, Rocky. All righty. Good morning, all. Uh, direct us. Oh, Yahuwah, in all our work with pride and craftsmanship, conviction and purpose and strength and difficulty, sustain and preserve our good efforts. And finally, by your mercy, grant us eternal rest from all our labor. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. As is our tradition, we go over our notes from last uh, last week. Okay, um, These will be attached on the, on the podcast, on the website download and uh, i got them out a little bit late sorry about that all right so here's our summary it's quite a long one this one chapter 21 this chapter deals with the lord's requirements for holiness and purity to the religious leadership the priestly class matters of purity for the shepherds of the flock are carefully regulated especially in the realms of death and matrimony the purpose of these commands is to say that the priesthood should adequately reflect a holy God and maintain sanctity of the sanctuary. Representing God obligates the priest to have a special responsibility in cleanliness, ritual purity, and holy living. Israel, as a nation, was designated to be a kingdom of priests before the Lord in Exodus 19. Now, considering this declaration by God from Sinai, it would make this chapter singling out the Levitical priesthood for holiness to be somewhat superfluous, as we are all called to be a holy people and a kingdom of priests. We keep this tension in our discussions of the text as it applies to us and our calling as shepherds of God's people, and as it applies to those in the function of actual shepherds of our churches and communities. Moses instructs the priests, the Kohanim, to keep themselves separated from death. God is life, and his clergy are to reflect this by not being contaminated by death through contact with a corpse. Contrasted to ancient pagan cultures, the Israelite priesthood did not participate in preparing the dead for burial. Uncleanness was not always avoidable, of course, and the cause of uncleanness is not considered sinful. Deliberate intention to remain in an unclean state. Well, that's something else. In the present day, Jewish cemeteries have special pathways for the Kohanim, and Kohans cannot be present in a room with a corpse. So this brought up in our discussion the contamination issue in the New Testament of the Good Samaritan. In that encounter, the Kohen and the Levite have the literal text on their side here in Leviticus to avoid contamination by assisting the fallen injured man. What the story of the Good Samaritan reveals is that holiness is both physical and spiritual. 
with the spirit of the Torah, always outweighing the letter of the Torah. Holy compassion and love of neighbor should have prompted assistance, not avoidance. Knowing that ritual uncleanness can be dealt with later on through the mikveh. Animals for the sacrifices had to be presented to the Lord without a blemish. We're going to read that a bit more tonight, the chance. Similarly, the priests themselves respected the perfection of God by being without a blemish themselves. They were forbidden from marking themselves in ritual, in mourning rituals, tattoos, and shaving the beard. This created an outward distinction between the Israelite and Canaanite priests who did these things. The reason for the command is summarized in verses 6, where being holy is paired with profaning the name of God. One way of profaning the Lord is to look like others and not God. And this is true for the people of God today. Acquiescing to modern cultural standards is neither good for your soul nor wins new souls for the kingdom. Interestingly, the text encourages the people of God to participate in sanctifying the priests. God has made them holy, and now people continue to keep them holy. Partnership in the kingdom of heaven runs throughout all the scripture. Since creation, God has dominion over the earth, all the while asking man to partner in that dominion. The reason for the need for sanctity of the priesthood is given that the priests should be holy because they offer the Lord's bread. Bread is the object given prominence over all the other sacrifices and offerings. Why was it? It was so important that it is mentioned twice, once in verse 6 and again in verse 8. Why? The bread offering was a symbol of the intimate relationship between God and Israel. Breaking bread together was, still is, the metaphor for companionship, hospitality, and close fellowship. In the absence of the temple, when no sacrifices could be performed, it was still possible to use bread as part of worship and ritual. Note that in the Gospels, Jesus only references bread at Passover and he makes no mention of the Passover lamb. High priests were also forbidden from tearing their garments, something that we see the high priest doing in the Gospels at the trial of Jesus. Moses then gives detailed instructions on who the priests could marry. The attributes of the potential wife for a priest are quite detailed. Common priests could marry widows, but not so the high priest. Pagan temples often contained prostitutes as part of their worship services. And the Israelite priesthood was to have nothing to do with harlotry. Daughters of the clergy who became prostitutes suffered the death penalty, although there is no actual literary records that say that these punishments were ever enforced in practice. Rather, the stiff penalty reflects the seriousness of the command. Nowhere does Leviticus say the wife of the Kohen has to be Jewish. Now, one can imagine that with Sipporah, Moses' Midianite wife, looking over his shoulder, that he could write no other. In our final discussions of this chapter, we asked ourselves, how do we keep our leaders today holy? Leviticus calls us to sanctify our clergy. So how? We mentioned accountability, shared leadership roles, having people around the shepherd, be they staff, lesser pastors, or a vestry of laity, to encourage, pray with, exhort, and in some cases, discipline them. Courage is required on behalf of the laity to challenge leadership when they fail. Compassion is also required. Some laity can be overcritical of their shepherds and perceived weaknesses. 
We also discussed the issue of female priests and women ordination. This is always a sensitive issue as there are many denominations that ordain women and some that passionately do not. An argument can and has been made that traditional biblical exegesis forbids authority of females over males. This is clear from a literal reading of Paul. The Hebrew Bible does not describe any female priests in the Israelite community. Female priestesses existed in literary archaeology of many pagan cultures. The New Testament does describe females as deacons, and hence some traditions, including the Anglican tradition, will ordain females to the diaconate. Some streams of Protestantism, including Anglicanism, also ordain women to the priesthood and bishopric. The debate can be quite lively, and many people can be hurt emotionally through disagreement. My personal comment on this issue is actually a warning. Here is a historic truth. All churches that ordain women are the ones who also ordain practicing homosexuals. The traditional Catholic and Orthodox churches do not theologically ordain either women nor homosexuals, although they might wink at it under the stole. It is not official doctrine, and even the Pope cannot change the magisterium. It's Protestants who historically change doctrine in response to culture, both for good and for evil. History has a habit of repeating itself. Therefore, when wrestling with the issue of women's ordination, this should be a part of the discussion so that safeguards can be put in place. All right. Now we turn to chapter 22. 22 is kind of broken up into two sections, um, continues to detail with the priests and, and uh, how they're meant to be, be holy. And then there's a, a section on offerings. And so they kind of um, make sure that the, the offerings and sacrifices are without a blemish, the priests are without a blemish, the people are without a blemish, and then you can get into holy time, which has no blemish, which is Leviticus 23 and all of the appointed times of the Lord. Um, so I think what we'll do is we'll read the first 16 verses and see how our discussion goes. And if we've got time, we'll then tackle the, the offerings and see if this can continue to apply to our communities to this day. Leviticus 22, verses 1 to 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they, so that they do not profane my name. But speak to the Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicated to me so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if any one of all of your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has had an omission, and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. And when the sun goes down, he'll be clean, and afterwards he can eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat of what dies of itself, or is torn by beasts and shall make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord 
who sanctifies them. A lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave can eat of it. And anyone born in his house can eat of this food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house, as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food. Yet no layperson shall be with her. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity in book by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. All right. So probably on initial surface reading, we're all scratching our heads going, all right, what was that all about? Okay. All right. What do you think, guys? Let's have a look. We've got, we've got, um, uh, uh, a lot of dietary rules for a bunch of holy priests, okay? And, uh, and, but there are a few interesting verses that crop up in there that actually do demonstrate something, I think, of the heart of God. And let's see if we can find them. We've got a hand raised there by Vida. Quick question. Uh, it, as we are reading this, it really struck my mind quite strongly. Um, David and I were talking about it. David, when he came, um, he was hungry with his men. That seems to violate everything written here because it he does. wasn't from that priesthood. Yeah, that's a that's a, I thought it, exactly the same thing when I read it. I was going, okay, so how did David get away from it? And then how does Jesus use that? Um, Validate it that it's okay. Yes, right. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of cool. How does that all work? Yeah. So I'd be interested. Is I don't know if motive there, but if what. Any rabbinic understanding of why David did it? How they can do they justify yeah. that he was okay? But but it it, it, go, it goes it goes to being hungry hunger right? And the Lord Jesus was always saying on the Sabbath, "Is it right to do good?" On a Sabbath? Yes, exactly. It's right. Yeah. So it's it, it's it, it's it's good to it's it's lawful to do good on on the Sabbath, and that's why a lot of the doctors, the Jewish doctors, on if they have to save a life. They will go into the hospital if it's for yeah. saving a life. So it's the same thing, the hunger principle with, with David and the man, David's men, and then the same principle with Jesus and the disciples is there. Yeah. It's that tension between the spirit of Torah and the letter of Torah. That doesn't mean that David eating holy food made him unclean. He, he was allowed to do it because he was really, really hungry. and It's better to, better to stay alive than, than that. But now that you're unclean, what do you have to do? Go and bathe. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like you can just say, well, I'll just forget the Torah now absolutely completely and just run around and do whatever I want because now you're not actually doing the spirit of the Torah. You're actually being quite selfish. And then again, yeah, and as we've talked about always on the group is that, you know, the, the priests are offering on the Sabbath every day, you know, morning and evening they're offering. And so they're working on the Sabbath again which is, is lawful. That's actually been a, a, a long debate in um, Jewish exegesis. What is work? Because there was so much that you could still, that you still did on the Sabbath. You, made, you lit fire on the Sabbath, even though God said, don't make fire. Well, you've got 
you, you've got you're constantly adding wood to these these fires and burning. You're constantly filling up oil and making sure that the that there are lights uh, around. And then of course you're just plain working, you know, um, uh, killing sacrifices, carving them up, uh, cleaning things, putting things around. Um, at the end of the day, those priests and Levites are probably quite quite tired. And uh, so there was a, a strong debate. What does it actually mean to work? And uh, and then you, there's a lot of that intention that came. You know, what does does uh, how intentional is actually labor? Um, and uh, and so then you you, you would uh, have some very interesting discussions, um, or you would see some interesting discussions on the spirit of the law and uh, and the letter of the law. Uh, Sharon from Quebec. That's a really cool thought, Aaron, because I was just reading Genesis this past week and it was talking about how God worked, right? So he cre- creation was a work of God. And then the concept that, um, you know, that he spoke and then it appeared, right? And then he rested on the Sabbath. And it's kind of funny to think of God, you know, resting as, a, as an example for us because he certainly, quote unquote, wouldn't need to rest, right, I suppose. But it's interesting. The theology of work, you know, I was listening to John MacArthur's tape on the theology of work and stuff. And he was just saying how it's a gift from God that it's like, um, you know, that, that, that Adam was given the job before he fell, not after of taking care of the garden and working. And yeah, it was really cool. Hmm. Yeah. There's an interesting verse in Exodus, which um, is included in, uh, in uh, the Jewish prayer book which says that uh, uh, God rested on the seventh day and he was refreshed. And, uh, and, and there, are so, there are quite a few English translations which actually don't say that part of the sentence. Now, why would they not, not translate that? Because it c- can create a theological conundrum. You go, what? God got tired? How could that possibly be? And so, you know, there are some people who have a theological problem and they go, oh, we will Scrub that out of the Bible. Um, but really, the way Jewish people exegete that text is they don't go with, oh, my gosh, God got tired. What they do is they say, wow, this thing that God made is so powerful and so important. Even the Lord himself was refreshed. Wow, how much more are we going to get refreshed if we just enjoy the Sabbath and, and uh, take it as a, as a day of rest? So uh, they, they kind of read it in, in, in sort of more positive way as opposed to sort of saying oh my gosh i'm now having a theological crisis um that's not the way that they you know, you'll have theological crisis on way other issues than that one okay. yeah all right uh, brazil yvonne yeah and the, the concept of work right adam and eve um adam was called to to you know the two verbs shomer and Avodah, like guarding and working which are the same two verbs that the priests do in the temple is, you know, shomer or shomar to guard, and then avodah is the work. But again, the concept of what you said, Aaron, what exactly is work? Work is service. So in that sense, in, in the sense of what they were supposed to do um, in the ta- temple and as, as the, uh, as, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, it was actually a good thing. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So now looking at our text, which goes back to our priests, it describes um, these basically holy food, food that has been presented to the Lord uh, on the altar. A portion is usually burnt up. A portion is given back to the worshiper. You know, the worshiper eats their own sacrifice in Jewish tradition. And, um, and then 
um, a portion is divided up to the priests. And if there's enough people worshipping the Lord, the priests and his family can actually uh, sustain themselves. And then it, uh, it describes who's actually allowed to consume this. Um, and it's not just, not just anyone. All right, we've got a hand raised there, Vito or David. It's the idea of the Eucharist, communion. If I look at, at verse 10, it says, There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. Now, what if the idea that somebody comes and has communion in the church, for example, and we don't know if that person is Christian or not, does that have a bearing on this? The, this, this is the background for that very interesting statement by Paul when he described people eating and drinking damnation. Yes. Or, or, or judgment upon themselves, this, this kind of idea. It's a very Jewish idea that things that are holy, then they always remain holy. They don't become unholy. And you really actually can't use them for something else. Otherwise, you actually are making them unholy. Uh, and and uh, in traditional churches, um, they'll take they'll take the bread and wine elements to be actually quite serious. But right? even even if we're not really talking about um, uh, 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 transubstantiation or anything like that, um, something that's been dedicated to the Lord then can't be used for something else. So, like at Christchurch, for example, with other churches, I can't speak for them all, but um, once once we've passed out the bread and the wine. We actually can't use that for anything else or any other purpose. And, um, and it is actually supposed to be consumed by the deacons there and there, but they, they rarely do because that's frightfully embarrassing, uh, just in case anybody knows, to stand there in front of a, a, a congregation and start guzzling wine and drinking a whole loaf of bread. Uh, it's just, so we, it's usually, uh, and you'd remember this, David, we, we take it to a special spot of the garden, Put it out on the earth, and it's exact. It's always in the same spot. It only goes there, um, and and you can see it happening here, here as well. And so, because they take it as a very holy moment and a sacred thing, then again, the tradition is, if if you're not prepared for communion by faith or even even like having a good heart, like if you know, clean heart, correct, clean heart, then don't come. And uh, usually, usually there is a, uh, a one or two sentence um, announcement prior to prior to inviting people um, to say that to say if you've got if you're harboring, you know, uh, hatred for your brother, go sort that out first. The Lord will be here; He's not going to go away. In fact, He'll go with you. But but sort that out, then come. Uh, if you're not baptized and you're just visiting. Don't come. Just watch. Come and get a blessing, but, but uh, know what you're doing first. Uh, take it quite seriously. Make, it comes from, comes from these verses. Oh, man. It is a very serious thing, I think. It can be. It should be, actually. It's, we, should, we should take holiness seriously because of that injunction that's in the New Testament by Paul. Um, uh, without holiness, no one can see God. Oh, yes. That is a profound New Testament statement, is it not? Of course, People will then say, oh, the Lord makes me holy, which is true, because that's what he says here several times in this text. I, the Lord, make you holy. Yes. That was fantastic. But he also then turns around and says, now maintain your holiness. It's not that uh, I make you holy and all you have to do, you can do whatever you like now. You can go to bars and pubs and restaurants and, you know, all kinds of horrible places and take drugs and, and, and you'll still be holy. That's actually not true. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a maintenance uh, aspect to it. Just a related thought to David, then they are personally responsible themselves versus, you know, 
Yes. And again, that you're right. And Leviticus also mentions that they're responsible for their family and for their, for their, their attitude and what they've done. Teresa, London. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. I just wanted to make the point that I have been in churches where I think they haven't had the understanding or the respect for this holy moment, if you like, or the holiness of communion. And I am not talking about transubstantiation um, because they see it as an opportunity while they're queuing up to chat and catch up with each other and et cetera, et cetera. And it drives me nuts, really, because I think that <laughs> yeah. it, it isn't the right attitude. It's not the attitude to God. It's not reverencing him and sanctifying his name. And I think that's something where we have to be careful because sometimes, I don't know, I can't make a judgment, but I've been in a number of churches in, yeah, where it, it, that's how, how it's treated and it's just too casual. And, uh, and, you know, yes, you can go too far the other way, but I don't think we should allow it to be such a casual moment that it's a bit like if you do it in the seats, then it's a little bit like pass the parcel, um, you know, and I don't think that's referencing God. There. Well, I, there is always that incredible tension and trying to get the balance between um, that, that reverential worship that also includes aspects of holiness and the, the knowledge of personal intimacy and joy that you can actually have in all of this, um, you know, coupled with um, getting so, so reverent that you actually, you actually push God away and, and suddenly the actual ceremony becomes more important, which is unfortunate. And, and can and can happen um, for for experience for those at Christchurch. Uh, Christchurch has a, two services: one in the morning, one in the evening. The morning is usually full of tourists and things like that. It's great. It's always good to fellowship with the brothers and sisters from the nations. And in the evening, it's a little bit more of um, our local community and includes a large number of students. And uh, it's always a surprise for David and I when we look up and we go, well, where are all these students coming from? And why are they not going to the normal other Pentecostal churches when you would expect them to? And uh, a lot of them will say exactly the same thing. They'll go, no, actually, we kind of like it here because, um, one, you explain liturgy to us. Um, we know where we are in the service, and it just seems that this is holy. And like, oh, well, thank you very much because we're really trying to, um, to build that into our community. Um, and it's great. We get lots of really good questions. Um, in fact, Sunday night, we ended up having a massive discussion on, uh, on um, Eucharistic theology. Can you believe that? Okay. Um, probably not something you want to do, but there was cheesecake involved because it was shovel up. So that, that actually made it a little better. Um, but there was young guys just wanting to know, like, what, what's everybody think on this? How, how do we, are we supposed to approach it? And, uh, which is interesting. Great, great questions. All right, Kate from sunny Scotland. I was just thinking when um, Teresa was talking there about how if you were raised in a particular, I mean, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I can actually remember the feeling of reverence, even as a small child, you know, because you, you, are, you have your first Holy Communion quite young. And um, it's... It's kind of that quiet moment, and it's between you and God, but you're still quite not sure what's going on. Yeah. But it's it's sometimes it's that, like you say, people need to explain what that moment is about and what you're actually putting. You're taking bread. You're taking God's body, and um, 
that quiet moment, really, when I think about it, is probably the only moment that you have to yourself in a service where you are with God. The rest of it, you're joining in with everybody else. So it's an important moment. I rem- as I say, I just remember it from being a child. I have a question. Thank you for, for that. I also remember, uh, as a kid, learning learning to say the, the Latin and parts of the Greek liturgy. You remember that? Yeah. Those that were yes. the tradition, yeah? And as yeah. a kid, you have no idea what you were saying, but yeah. it sounded good, okay, because it sort of kind of rolled off the tongue. It yeah. seemed very easy to remember. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's only later that uh, I remember what, they, what it means, and now I can't. Now I can't. And there was it. a translation beside it. Yeah. That I, I used to try and read that and keep up with the priest who was waffling away in waffling Latin. Off. I would read that. Yeah, that. I remember, like you were saying, I can remember that the the Domine non sum dignus and the bell ringing. Yeah, yeah, the saint dispels. Yeah, but it was like it, it, it's a little bit like saying this is a ritual, but then praying, yeah, in that kind of way is a ritual, and it's and it's so soothing. It, I went to um, I, I was at a Catholic, it, actually it was a non-Catholic mass, but it was um a Latin mass. And it just transported me back to that moment. And it's it's a little bit like um we we teach we teach our should teach our children well, and I never did that, so I'm ashamed of myself for not the, doing that. it's incumbent upon upon the leadership to actually tell people and explain people what you're doing, both either whether you're doing it in Latin or as uh, there's a comment there by Andrew, even in English, because even in English it may not be understood, and that is unfortunately yes. so true. Yeah. Um, I have a question in relation to the text, okay, because the Lord says, you know, speak to Aaron and his son. So we've got this lineage appearing, a very particular family group of the tribe of uh, Levi, which means my heart. So it's interesting that God would choose his priests from this tribe, okay. And uh, they have to abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, okay. These are gifts that are given to the Lord. And, um, and so that they do not profane my holy name. So how, how can in our modern age, how do we profane the name of God in our worship services? Any idea, guys? Like you said, too, I think, Aaron, harboring a bitter heart or not having okay. things right with our brothers, then it just causes division in the midst, but then you're still trying to gather as a people, but you're, you're annoyed with X, Y, or Z, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, I always think when, I, when I'm, when I'm, looking around uh, uh, people who might be having an inward struggle with something um, they and they're, they're kind of at church then not with family their brothers and sisters they're there by themselves somehow in the midst of a group of people they've somehow managed to get separated from everybody you know that that bitterness that division um, you can be surrounded by worshipers you can even be singing the same song as them but you're actually not with them um, yeah, yeah, sort of somehow, somehow pulled away. Um, it's actually quite sad. It's one of those things where you say, you know, we have a prayer ministry. Go, go, get yourself sorted out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that same concept that we have to have clean hearts to worship together. Each of yeah. us, you know, personally, we have that responsibility. In answer to your question originally, you know, to to keep yeah. the and and you always use the term brothers and sisters, and I think that's an important element of even this study group is that we are a family. It feels like family. When we speak to each other, we've got an understanding of, of, of an opinion, but we trust everybody else's point of view that we're all coming from the same 
um, good place. And I think that's that's brought home to me. It always has, has been when you say brothers and sisters and refer to us as your family and God as the Father. Yeah. The, uh, the bitter hearts, the resentment during worship, that's inward. That's personal. Um, and so God would see that and go, hey, there's something not quite right there, brother. Um, and, you, know, you and me need to have a special talk a bit later or, or now. Um, but how about a more public uh, profaning of the name of God in our modern services or forms of worship or something? Any idea? Any suggestions? I got one. Go for it. Go for it, Shimsha. We, we, we can profane the name of God if we make people to speak against God by our actions. Yeah. Um, like if we look at the, the story of um, the sons of Eli, they, they did a lot of things that made, they did not um, hold um, sacred the offerings of God or the people of God. And they did a lot of things that made people to begin to speak against um, the, the, the name of God itself, you know, uh, because we represent God. And when people speak against God in knowing that like we're brothers and sisters, then they, they, they blaspheme God. They say, oh, and he, and he calls himself a Christian and he, and he calls himself a believer. And that alone is um, what God doesn't want. It's, it's an external thing that affects every other person that, um, that is called by the name of God. Okay, cool. Are they out, those outward actions? Sorry. Uh, there's, um, I got something like this. How about, because this happened uh, about a couple of months ago. I was uh, setting up the uh, communion table and I noticed that none of the cloths, table, the napkins, none of them had been washed. We had just straight out forgotten. Wine stains, marks, black smudges. And so my first reaction was, oh, maybe if I just sort of flip it over, no one will notice. And I thought, wait a second, people will notice. Somebody will come up afterwards and notice. And I was like, well, actually, no, I've got to, I've got to strip all this. I've got to go take it, to wash this. We've got to put something up that's clean because um, it's profaning the name of God means to make it common. And while we say Jesus is our friend, and that's true, but he's unlike my other friends. So I can say he's a friend, yes. But if he's just like another friend or maybe not even as good as some of my other good friends because I actually want to spend more time with them than I do with Jesus, then all of a sudden my words and my actions actually don't reflect uh, uh, that that sort of holiness attitude. So there, there, are, there, there are little ways. There's subtle ways. And sometimes we think, oh, you know, you're over, 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 overdoing it, possibly. However, I would argue that one step leads to another. And it's a slippery slope between making Jesus just a friend. Sorry, Aaron, that's interesting because ultimately whenever we approach the altar, I know like in Christchurch, it's actually a holy thing, right? So... It's the idea, if you've got the holy thing, how can you put anything with a blemish on top of it? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I always find it interesting in synagogues when they uh, bring out the Torah scroll and what does everybody do? They, uh, the ones that are close to it, they pick up their uh, talits and they kiss it, you know, and they say, this is the best book. There's no other book like this book, right? You know, uh, but it's so holy, I won't even touch it. But I, but I really want to kiss it. I want to say, Lord, this is the best book ever. 
Um, we have kind of some of those traditions uh, which we've kind of forgotten. There used to be a procession where you know you would pick up the book and go, "Best book of the world," right? It's, uh, um, but we don't do that much anymore. Damaris, did you have a hand up? I did. <laughs> I thought, well, I wonder if it's appropriate. Um, the way we dress when we go to church. Um, sometimes I wonder. I go, oh, let's not look in that direction. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes, I don't wish to be critical, but I really struggle sometimes when priests show up in jeans and, and a shirt that doesn't look like it's been laundered. <laughs> and, uh, and I go, wow, like, and, and here we are before an altar that doesn't exist because usually it's a non-denominational church. Right. So I, I being raised as a, well, I wasn't raised actually as a Christian. I start, I became a Christian later in life, but, um, I know the Anglican church, at least, you know, that there's an altar and there's a, a routine that you go through. But I wonder sometimes when people go to church, whether it's kind of more like a rock concert. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, I, it's, it's that tension between clean hands and, and clean hearts. You know, what do we choose to wear when we go to church? Why do we choose to wear such a thing? Um, how is it? What sort of words do we use to, to describe uh, the Lord? What sort of elements do we just use uh, to worship? And um, so all of that is, uh, is just part of our adoration of the Lord. And it's not, it, it is for us, but it's also for the visitor. If there is a stranger who does come into our midst and watches, and what impression do we give him or her or them, if they're with their family, about uh, our how do we value the Lord and his things? Because God has things. Right? He has the word. And the word is really, you know, in, in, in tradition, you can't take the Bible into a toilet. Really, it's not supposed to put it on the ground. Right? It's never actually physically supposed to be on the ground. And you don't put anything on top of it. You don't put a coffee cup on it. You, don't, you know, there's these kinds of things. Um, God has a land. Right? You know, he has a, he's, got, he's got the world. Yes, absolutely. But there's also a land. He's got a house. He's got a hill. He's got a city. Um, and he's got a people, you know, and each of these things is, is, is special. And I think sometimes, uh, and it's all attached to his name. Each of those things is attached to his name, and, uh, and that makes them all very, very, very precious and something that we have to guard and keep, keep holding. Okay, Canada, going through Janet. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting a bit what Damaris said. It seems that um, in the non-liturgical churches anyhow, they're becoming more and more places that reflect sort of what the world is, you know, whether it's lights and all these sort of things. <clears throat> but I'm thinking also too, when when the word of God is not handled properly, is that um, or incompletely? I mean, I struggle with how <clears throat> you know um, verses are taken out of context and preached on, or else. Um, there's no reference to Israel when a certain um, passage of scripture is used. It's immediately, you know, made a replacement one. Is that, and, and I feel like there's so many places in our society where we don't, there's no, there's no separation between the sacred and the profane. And somehow um, this whole seeker-friendly seeker church that to make people comfortable when they come, it's this difference. Jesus didn't, he made people feel 
he drew people in, but it wasn't because he made, if we just talk, sort of make our culture so much of the culture around us, um, you know, have some coffee, bring it into, I mean, it, it's just become, there's no sense of, this is a very different set apart place. And I always feel, you know, we treat our homes a certain way. We like them to be, we like them to have some beauty. We like them to represent something. So our places of worship also should, rep, you know, they should never be diminished from what what we live with. And um, in a sense, we're, we're making a sacred place where the Holy Spirit wants to come and be with us. And um, we, we need to sort of lay aside some of our, our common things that we like to do. I mean, yeah. and so that we, we're just, we're able, we're able to let him um, be very welcome there. So I, I, I mean, I struggle with that because there are a lot of people who don't go to a liturgical church and there's no altar and there's no place that focuses but at the same time, then the focus somehow needs to be about God's holiness. And we're, we're um, it's something very important that needs to be thought about. So, Absolutely. And this whole book, as well as a calling, is that we are being called to distinguish between the sacred and the profane. And um, I think as we've been tr- studying and learning and um, hopefully applying this into our lives, um, we can acknowledge that there are sections of our brothers and sisters of the community which um, have forgotten the holiness of God, and uh, and that's much to the detriment uh, of of their their communities, but also the man of God himself. There's been some great um, comments as we've been talking. Linda from Scotland said, "Someone in a church I went to said that if they were going to meet the Queen, they'd dress nicely." So now we go to meet the King of Kings. Shouldn't we pay more attention to what we wear? Very true, very good. And a verse from Romans put in by um, Shimshon, Nigeria. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. This is your reasonable service. I mean, that's isn't that, I like the way he puts that. This is, this is just your reasonable service to be holy before the Lord because we're called. As we remember, he makes us holy. I, the Lord, make you holy. Fantastic. Now maintain holy and, and, and bring that holiness back uh, to God. That's something he, he initiated. It's always, always his initiation. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. All right, Teresa, London. Thank you. Um, I agree with Damaris, and I agree very much with Janet as well. Um, just on the clothing issue, um, worship teams. I think sometimes, you know, we have to remember they are supposed to be leading us into the presence of God. And sometimes um, perhaps they might not be dressed in the most appropriate way. And it's not that I'm fuddy-duddy. I'm just talking about what is reverent to God. And uh, so I think that's that's an area. And the other one um, is, you know, the, the point Janet made about, in a sense, about access, you know, making making your service accessible to people. But on the other hand, not compromising so you're changing everything so that we don't put people off so at any cost we mustn't put people off and i think that's 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 wrong we should be who we are and we should you know hold to um the gospel message and the you know the, the bible message and not be afraid of putting people off and if that means that the particular church uses liturgy 
fine, as long as they make it accessible and explain it. And if they don't use it, again, fine. But I do think it's, it's we're, we're far too dominated nowadays. Certainly here, I see it with, oh, mustn't put them off. If we do that, you know, put them off. Mustn't make it too long, you know, restrict the time. And I think it's dreadful. I mean, of course, you don't want long, long sermons that, you know, people fall asleep during because that could be a bit of a problem. But yeah, I mean, my apologies. To say, to sorry. <laughs> no, to say, um, you know, you only have 10 minutes and then you're in trouble. Because um, I know somebody who, who has been in, regularly in trouble. Um, she was an ordinant for, um, you know, doing it too long, doing it over the 10 minutes. And I think, what are we doing? What are we thinking of? It's it's how God leads us as long as we we have our heads screwed on. <laughs> yeah, the focus needs to be God, not people, eh? For sure. And people, yes, we're there to worship God, not cater yes. to people. Yes, it, and and the Leviticus is constantly saying, "I am the Lord. I am holy. This is my name that's being profaned. So I want you to be holy." And 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 you get some it might look like little crazy rules: who can and cannot eat food and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, there is still some things to, to learn from inside those those rules. Uh, Vida or David? Aaron, I was, I was just wondering, if I go back to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, when he brought out the instruments from the temple and they abused them, toasting, whatever, the Lord actually had a problem with that because these are holy instruments, right? And he blitzed the guy there. But I, and I'm following that through to today. How, how does that fit in today? I've, I've seen this in... in in, in Catholic services, they still regard the chalice, etc., as pretty holy, right? And I'm pretty sure the Anglican, uh, Anglicans do, as I've seen David, and you, you do the same thing. But uh, I also think that following through from that, the idea that, that, that in, the, in the Anglican Church, etc., you wear appropriate robes to distinguish who you are, to, to in a sense, se separate you, set you apart to who you are and who you represent. And I think that is, is really essential in the churches today. And I wonder how far other churches who don't do this are actually not doing what is right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a tough challenge. It's that, it's that thing we've been wrestling with. And um, uh, I don't know what, uh, nothing else to say other than um, it's a calling upon all of us to make sure that all of our worship services, whether they're liturgical or not, are indeed a holy place and they honour the name of the Lord. But for those that are using liturgies and robes and colours and things, there is a, we be intentional about it because there are reasons behind. Uh, Andrew put a good comment in the chat when he said, much of our behaviour that is profaning the Lord's name um, is actually often unintentional. We don't mean it. We don't, we don't deliberately walk up and say, ah, watch me smear Jesus' name to my non-Christian friends. Ah, no, we don't. It's a, but then that's the tough challenge. How then do we admonish each other in love to say, hey, you know, perhaps you shouldn't wear that to church. You know, um, it's, a, it's a tough one. You know? it's a, I'm not going to say it's, a, it's actually easy. Uh, going back to the text, um, verse 11, uh, verse 10. So you, in, in, the, in the first bits, you've got these uh, who can and cannot eat. You've got blemishes. We've discussed a lot of that stuff to do with the priesthood before. And then we brought up that issue of David eating forbidden bread. Uh, and so the spirit of the law must always be taken into account. Okay. Uh, uh, 
this, the, as opposed to the, the, intent, the letter of the law, or as Moses would say, the intention of the heart. Write these laws on your heart. It's always been about the heart. So uh, verse 9, you know, uh, therefore they'll keep my charge. God gives his, his clergy uh, some tasks. Lest they bear sin and die, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. There's that little phrase again. Who makes us all holy first? The Lord. Who then maintains that? Us. Right? Not all by ourselves. With the spirit, with the word, with each other. And when we fall, we have our uh, repentance. Oh, these guys had um, mikvahs baptism. Verse 10. A lay person cannot eat. Oh, so there's like this distinction all of a sudden. But um, why do you think that would probably be there? Why can't we have lay people eat, eat offerings? I mean, they're eating it anyway, aren't they? I mean, the guy brought a goat. And he, he got like half of it and he wandered off, you know. <laughs> um, what do you think? Yeah, when it talks about the lay person in this case, it's actually referring to um, people that have not, um, that don't have a higher calling like the um, Levite because they have to keep themselves clean from the things that are unclean. Um, for instance, um, the normal person can um, mourn for his father, can go to the um, graveyard and, and get all those contamination. But this, the priest cannot do those things. So if he can't come and eat this sacred food because this food is considered very holy for those people that can eat it, that are clean, ceremonially clean to eat it. There is a, there's definitely a, the idea of not being called to a priesthood but having other callings, just as valid, right? Um, the, the food, the, the, the worshipper gets a bit, God gets a bit all burnt up, and then a bit is given to the priest. Now, why can't we eat that bit? Why can't we give that bit to, um, to a lay person? And the answer is actually pretty, pretty straightforward because it's already given for a specific purpose. And what we do in a lot of our profanity is we change the purpose. You know, we, we, um, I've got, we're going we're gonna to do X and here's the money for X and we're going to build, you know, use it for this mission program. But then something comes along and we take that money and we put it for something else. You know, wait a second. No, no, no. We were, that money was dedicated to that person. That, to that, it was intended for that purpose. It has to go. To that you can't just pick and choose whenever you feel like it you got to honor the giver and that includes the worshiper somebody worshiped the lord and he's expecting that the bit that he gave to the priest is also then consumed by the priest that's um, you know I, and so there's there's also the honor the worshiper as well involved in this not just uh honoring the lord it's all part of the same same thing a foreign guest of the priest or hired worker he can eat. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? So, so here you've got this priest. He's been working in the temple and serving, and then he brings home uh, his, his allotment of, of food. Some of it would have been cakes, some breads, grains, roasted, um, and various meats. He comes home and says, okay, family, here is our, our portion. Let's bless the Lord. And then, you know, his wife says, listen, you know, Solomon's come over for dinner and uh, we've brought Gary because he was doing um, some gardening work for us. Um, is it okay if he shares? And, and God says, yes, they're allowed. 
totally allowed to partake of this, this um, allotted food. So there is a way for people to be brought in very close right, into, uh, into the sacred, sacred uh, meals of God. So it's actually kind of interesting that um, uh, this idea that actually we can bring people into fellowship quickly by bringing them into our house. And uh, that's kind of nice, just like with Passover, right? Anyone inside that house was saved. So just get people inside the house. So there's a little, 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 uh, little, little thing here. Have some guests. Guests are good. You can eat the, the special holy, holy meals of the Lord. It's like the, the detail of the very, the complicated detail that's written to cover these varied circumstances is what I thought when you read it when, on the first reading. It's, it's actually being so specific about who can eat what. And we know that God will have a reason for that. So as long as we follow what he tells us, yep. he is relaxing into that. That's part of his pleasure. Yep. Yes, the, the God's delight. What I was going to say is in verse 10, I think my Bible might be slightly different in my interpretation I've got here. I'm reading from the Young's Literal Translation. Okay. And it says, no stranger doth eat of the holy thing. And it says, a settler of a priest and a hireling does not eat of the holy thing. He says, oh, yeah. and then he does not eat. And then it says in verse 11, only if you buy that person. Ah, yes, yes. Yep, yep. You're correct. Yep, that's the, that's the correct way. I've actually got it wrong. The guests cannot, but the slave can. That he's purchased and, and anyone born in his house can. Yes, that's it. Yes. And so, yeah, you're, you're correct. Thank you for correcting me on that one. It's the, the, the idea of being able to buy. I mean, when you buy a person, you think, what? This is horrible. You know, what, what are we doing here? It's terrible. Yet they now have access to, to what an, an, a non-slave can't. It was like that issue when we had um, a woman who was a, a captive in war, uh, but within one month she was counted as being within the people of God. Right? Do you remember that? She had, she had to cut her nails and shave her hair and mourn for her family. But after one month or that sort of cycle very quickly, she was it's the fastest track you've got to join the people of Israel. They'd actually be conquered by them, um, you know, um, uh, which, which is one of those interesting, um, it's a very interesting part of the kingdom of heaven, you know, this sort of a conquering souls for Jesus, you know, this sort of idea of actually bringing people in. The slave and, and uh, is allowed to be, and anyone born of the slave, so they get on suddenly all these extra rights that have access to the food. And, uh, but once a daughter marries a layman, then she's no longer part of his household. So she actually comes under the, the idea of um, his household. And if he's a layman, well, he doesn't have access to this, this stuff as well. Um, however, should... Uh, uh, marriages fail, or should the husband die, and uh, and there's and she's childless. That is, there is no continuation of that house. Then she returns back to this house, the house of the priest, and can eat and and, and make use of all of the holy objects. Uh, and then in verse fourteen, it gets into the thing that's unintentional. Um, if you do happen to to take something that was holy. That was not meant for you. It's unintentional. You didn't mean it. I don't know exactly how you would do that. But then once you understand what you've done, then you get into that uh, not a gray area, but 
what actually does then become the sin? The sin is when you know you've done something wrong, even if it was unintentional, but they're not doing anything about it to fix it up. And, um, and one of the things I like about um, many of our, our prayers is, you know, Lord, forgive me of the things that I, I, uh, I did, the evil I've done and the good I didn't do, right? You know, there's, there's always something I could have done, should have done. Uh, maybe I was weak. Maybe I wasn't very courageous. Um, uh, maybe I was a little bit selfish. You know, all kinds of things. But there was a, something I didn't do that I should have done. Um, and then you're trying to fix it up. Here it's uh, monetary value. A lot of the Torah was actually put into monetary value, which is uh, where we get a lot of our, um, uh, our lawsuits today. We pretty much take every, every matter of law and turn it into a monetary value now. You know, uh, emotional damage now has monetary value. Uh, I've been insulted. You owe me a million dollars. Um, it's, it's also here. It's, it's uh, in, the, in the text where you add, a, uh, add value of fifth and you actually give it back. So you actually you go back to its original intention. Something was dedicated to the Lord. So give it back to God and his priesthood. You do not profane, that is, make common the holy things of the people of Israel. Okay, So it's the, this, uh, it's the nation or us, the community, that's actually sending something to the Lord. So in our current day, that would be our worship spaces, you know, um, our, our mission programs, um, you know, all the things that we use to honour and worship and serve the Lord, all that becomes part of uh, our, all, all the holy things we are giving to God that we contribute to the Lord. And, uh, and they need to be used only for their set purposes, not for something that's for an unintended purpose. It can happen, like David, okay? unintentional. But once you figure it out, you to go back uh, and give to the things, uh, give back to the things of God. Or as he says, you know, make sure my storehouses are full first. And then uh, you, you just watch the blessings that I can pour back on my people. Looking now at the acceptable offerings, okay, before moving into verse uh, chapter 23 in the holy time, animals that need to have um, be perfect. So God's people have to be perfect. His priests have to be perfect. And then anything that you give to God has to be perfect. Can't be second best. Uh, Lord says to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel. So now they're, all included in this because they'll be giving of these animals. Any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel, those, the Gerim, the ones that are um, the strangers, the ones that are the visiting, the non-Jews, uh, if they present a burnt offering as his offering or any of their vows or free will offerings, it is to be accepted for you. It shall be a male without blemish of the bulls, of the sheep, or the goats. They're all equal. Isn't that interesting? All the animals are of different weights. Different values, they're all they up. When it comes before the Lord, it's all counted as equal. And you will not offer anything that has a blemish, but it will not be acceptable. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings, or to the Lord to fulfill a vow, or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, uh, to be accepted, it has to be perfect, no blemishes. Everything that comes before the Lord is, is to be perfect. Uh, and this is. Um, I read a statistic in relation to um, offerings, okay, um, how much actually um, Protestants 
uh, actually donate to the church? Does anyone know what it what it what it would be like? How much we would give? Percentage wise, half a shekel. <laughs> half a shekel. Very close, Rocky. It was it was woefully small. It was something. Yeah, it's like 0.05%. Isn't that terrible? The majority of the money that Protestants earn is actually kept for themselves. It was a very, I, I read it about only like three or four days ago. I should, should actually find it. So it's either on Anglican Inc. or um, Virtual Online or one of those sort of uh, websites that I, I go and, and look at. I was very disappointed and thought, oh, no, surely that can't be true. Surely that's got to be wrong. Less than 1%? Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Is that, um, is it, and uh, it's, we've, there's a, there's a, a new generation of uh, believers that go to church and that's what they do. They go to church. Fantastic. But they don't support it. They don't feel that they have to. Isn't that sad? Is that somehow we've created a, a, a worshiping environment where we will not treat God holy enough to say, you deserve. To, uh, to have this. This is my part of my worship for you. I will make sure this building is clean. I will make sure that the worship leaders are, are paid and they've got some, some new instruments to be able to lead me in worship. Uh, we'll be able to uh, uh, fund the local uh, mercy fund. Uh, and instead, what you end up is, um, is it, it's the, the budgets of, of our community is very, very short. And that's because we're, we've entered into a cashless society, guys. Well, one of the reasons. No one actually takes any money anywhere. And uh, so how do you give offering? I'll, I'll, I'll give uh, next week. Wow. <laughs> you'll, you'll forget. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just walk around with a little PayPal device. And go, beep, 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 you know, uh, well, some churches have debit. debit they do. Machines. Yep, they do. They're, they're catching on that way. Yeah. You know, with the YMCA and, and um, it's, it's interesting, you, you know, and uh, Salvation Army, is this something of this generation? Because in the past, so many churches were, you know, were, were constructed and, hosp- I mean, I'm sorry, hospitals and um, different sorts of, you know, entities to help the poor. Do you think that's more of a recent uh, statistic, Aaron? The, the one that I read yeah, is very, very recent. It was, um, it was looking at it was looking at trends. Uh, there's there's a lot of peer research that goes it goes around, and then they sort of publish their findings. You know, um, median age of worshippers. Uh, you know, all that all those kinds of things. How many are worshiping online? How many are, are just going from church to church? How many are new believers? All those kinds of things. Unfortunately, uh, finances um, are down, and it's one of the, talking about money is always very hard when you when you're when you when you mix religion in there. Is you start going, well, hang on, maybe we should just have faith and, and, and not say anything. And I go, okay, well, well, what about that asking you shall receive? Oh, no, that's just for Jesus. But you can't actually ask actually a human anything, you know, it's only, only the Lord. <laughs> you know, uh, the Holy Spirit will prompt people. Well, yes, also true. Um, but uh, here, you know, the Lord's actually really quite, quite clear no look we have these things called sacrifices they they draw us together it's, it's, it's about being close you eat i eat we all eat we're all together there's a lot of lot of things going on here there's generosity bringing other people in to eat and drink with you there's also the sense of holiness parts of this animal it's now dedicated to the lord can't be used for anything else 
can only be consumed by certain people who, by the way, can, can buy slaves and they can eat and they can actually join that join the community. That's an interesting thing. Um, but it's all, it's all sorted out. God has it worked out as part of his calling for holiness. And then in our modern day, um, we've forgotten this uh, part of our worship that actually bringing a sacrifice to the Lord is an act of worship. And it's the ability to be able to say, look at your money and say, actually, this bit belongs to God and I will not use it for me. I'm actually going to use this for the Lord. It's uh, something that I do very much. That's a really good thought, Aaron. I was just reading that this passage actually in Malachi this week, and the Lord impressed it on my heart too. That uh, you know, Malachi three verse uh, six on there. I, mm-hmm. the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of, of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But how how will we return? You ask. With, uh, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'm testing God in that this week too, just for fun, you know, but also to do it and you know, to obey God. But the thing is, do you, don't you think that the New Testament too encourages tithing still? I gave it the office. You gave, you gave it the office? Yeah. Which office, Rocky? Was it, was it, it wasn't my office. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, there, I don't know if there's actually a verse that says, um, uh, a number like there's no there's no actual physical number the word tithe in hebrew is uh mevaser, uh measer, sorry um which is carries the carries the word eser in it which is the word for tenth so that's that's where we get the idea of uh, of a tithe actually being a, a but aaron in our walk with the lord so many times in the new testament even in the old testament we are called to be cheerful givers paul says give, give generously right we are supposed to do the Samaritan thing. We are supposed to understand that our lives are now sacrificial unto the Lord. So we are supposed to support one another. We are supposed to, to the Lord says, when I'm naked, you feed me. When I'm hungry, you, I mean, when I'm hungry, you feed me. When I'm naked, you clothe me, etc., etc. Everything about what the Lord teaches us is to, to do is to give. Yeah. Yes, you are so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm going to, do my best not to make any names. I was with a brother uh, the other day, and we were talking about his calling to Israel and how his own family, right, we're talking immediate family, progeny, and some of his children said, you're being foolish. You're wasting your life. You, you, why go on the mission field? You don't get paid. You know, what are you doing, you know, selling your house or whatever. this is this is this is insanity it's like hang on whatever happened to being joyful that oh you're obeying the call of the lord this is absolutely fantastic we are so proud of you dad you know um somehow we've even turned it where um uh you shouldn't even go on the mission field because you've got to you, you know you've got to go and get a house and you've got to get a, a cat the kid the dog and the, the white picket fence and you've got to have these things um and that's actually not true you're right it's be givers, cheerful givers, because at the end of the day, we all know, we all know that um, the older you get, the more you realize that things don't mean much. <laughs> they meant a lot when we were 18, 
yeah, okay, and probably even more when we were 16. Um, but, uh, you know, when you realize that we can't take our house and we can't, none of that actually matters. What does matter is making the family of God bigger, making his name even more holy, okay? building the kingdom, healing people. Defending my inheritance. That, yes, that's right. You're, you're, we're very upset, Dad. You're spending my inheritance. So there's a parable about that somewhere. I really should read that one to you in, in the Gospels. Um, you won't like it, uh, but uh, it's, 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 it's here. And what we do bring to the Lord as part of our calling is unblemished. It's the best, okay, and uh, bulls, goats, whatever. Of course, we understand the blood of bulls and goats I didn't delight, but I wanted your heart. But that does not mean that it was against the intention of giving, right? It means that people have been put so much in that, in that sacrifice, they turned the sacrifice into the God itself, and that sacrifice meant that I can go out and do anything. And that would be also with us, it's, you know, people who give 10%. Oh, I give 10%, therefore the Lord should bless me and I can go out and do whatever I want. No, it doesn't work that way either. Do you think, though, that in, in the society where, say, in a city you have it's just disparate groups of people, that churches might have one minister that, that covers three or four churches, that you've lost the community of the church and people are reluctant to give where they don't know what's happening with their... Yeah. with their tithing i mean i i have no church to give i give to my online church for reasons saint, saint jude and saint james great church by the way praise the lord but i i also i give to um christian charity where yep. they're looking after children that's how i give but it's quite difficult for somebody to just think where am i going to i've got a hundred pounds you know i've got i've got but the blessing of extra money, where would I give this? Yeah. How do you choose? Well, that, that, that's, that's, that's a good question. And I think the initial question is, where's your heart at? Is, um, I've got, that, that, that desire to look, I've just been given £100. I wonder where I should give my tithe. If we could all get to that question first, yes, I, th I think we'd be in a, in a much better place. Now, I'm not going to say that I could tell you exactly where it should give. That's going to be between you and the Lord, the Spirit, and the different situation and where you're, where you're at and, and all kinds of things. Um, but uh, I, think, I, think it's, I think that that's the attitude we should try and get to. But um, what can I first give God? Because he's given me so much. He made me holy. He made my family holy. He made my community holy. And I want to, I want to reflect that back. I want to make sure that he looks holy in the eyes of the world. In, in the, through my family, and, and that includes um, uh, the things that I give. Aaron, I think just to jump in there, I think Matthew 23, 23, I think that's a good verse of the New Testament that, that kind of confirms Jesus saying, you know, when he's talking to the, hypocr the hypocrites, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, yeah. he's saying, pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, right. and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and uh, faith. Yeah. Means you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, and just the just the fact that Malachi three says, "I, the Lord, do not change." I think the policy still is in place in the sense of in the new new covenant, and it's just if anything, you give more, you give over and above, you can give offerings above the ten percent. What is that? What you're oh, thinking? Of course. Yeah, I, the, you kind of give God anyone. No one, no one ever should. But um, the I think in some most a lot of our discussion from David and and, uh, and a few others, it's. Make giving a hard issue is, um, is, and make that also an act of holy worship is, uh, is uh, I think what, 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 what 
Leviticus is also saying. Teresa, London. Yeah, I wanted to say that it is a heart issue at the end of the day because, um, you know, when, well, first of all, for ourselves, we need to be good stewards of the money the Lord has provided for us. And, you know, it's quite hard on occasions because <laughs> I, I need to replace my car. But, you know, then I struggle with what kind of car, etc. A Tesla. Oh, sorry. Not that I could afford, a, you know, one of these monster things. But, you know, it's this, whatever you buy, I am conscious. It's much harder to buy now because I don't like buying things online, you know, in terms of clothing and so on. But I can be very good at spending money. But at the end of the day, we have to think, ah, Lord, you know, is this right? But on a slightly more serious note, um, I have run quite a few charity appeals within our church. And this is obviously all pre-pandemic when you'd ask, well, we started off with asking for, you know, clothing and well, we learned not to do that again because we were utterly inundated. You could say, <laughs> well, how good. But it was, oh, I don't need this. I don't need that. And we had loads and loads. I can't tell you how many loads of rubbish we had yeah. that you couldn't give to anybody. And I think that goes back to the heart because I think, I don't know whether it applies to all of us, but there is that feeling, oh, oh, I'll give it to charity. Not even to give it clean, not to mention the fact that very often it's not something that's really in a good state to be worn. And I think that's because we don't have the right attitude to those we're giving to. Because we're giving to Jesus, believe it or not, aren't we? Really, you know, Matthew 25, I think it is. Um, so we have to think, you know, we have to give of our best. And so what we did in the end, without going into detail, we chose something that was simple and not too expensive. And we said it must all be new. And that way we got around it. But of course, you can't do that if you're giving larger objects, if the church is you know, has a lot of people who wouldn't be able to afford that. But it's that attitude that, that, that um, it's difficult to, to encourage in people and in ourselves, I think, to not think, oh, I don't wear that anymore. Oh, it's a bit manky now. I'll right. just, you know, I'll give it. Instead of thinking, actually, we have to give of our best because we're giving to God at the end of the day. And, uh, and, and you know, and then, and then you, you pray over the things you're giving for the person who's going to receive it. So I do think that's really important. It is. And those who can't yeah. give sometimes can give their time. Yes. That's give correct. their energy that's and correct. Their Yes, that's right. A tithe doesn't always have to be money. It can be, it can be all kinds of things. Yes. I agree. I agree. And, and uh, uh, Vitek had um, a nice quote there from Acts chapter 10. It was an excellent little passage about Cornelius. Uh, in Acts 10, he's described as a devout man. All his household, he gave arms generously to the people. Okay? Uh, this sort of idea of, of uh, what we would have called in Hebrew, stakar, his, his, his charity, okay? his arms giving, his love. And uh, that's later described by an angel who visits him and says, your prayers and your arms have ascended to heaven. You know that even heaven has seen what you do. Not only have we heard, we have also also seen, and that's um, also a nice thought. Uh, Shimshon, you've got a hand raised? Yes. Yeah. Um, I can understand with Teresa the, the frustration, especially when people bring those kind of clothes uh, as, um, as, as, as a support. But um, I think it's in the wording, because many times when we ask for such um, 
giving. We usually say things you don't need. And actually, they don't need those things and they bring them to us. <laughs> it's, I think we need to change the wording because I have experienced that too. And um, we, need to, we, need the, we don't need to say things you don't need, but we say things that will be useful for other people um, might be much, much useful. Um, then the other thing talking about tithing is the first thing first is for you to separate it, you know, to separate the tithe. Um, if you have the tithe separated, then you know you have an obligation to begin to disperse it, to give it to the charity, to give it to the church, to give it. But from that 10%, you're giving it to all these places that you want to give your tithe to because um, you're, not, you're not obliged to give it to only to one person or to one um, organization, you can, you can distribute it. But first of all, you need to separate it because truly we can't really tithe. Um, there's so many things you get, so many benefits that you can't tithe. I mean, somebody pay for your ticket for, for, some, for, you know, for a trip, how do you tithe that? You know, and so many things we enjoy. So it's when you begin to calculate at least the major income that comes to you and you make a tithe from it, you, you, you can't really outgive God. And um, for whatever we give, I mean, we can never outgive God. So uh, the first thing is to separate the tithe. Once we have it separated, then we can start dealing with the giving. Yep. Good point. Thanks, uh, thanks Jim Sean. The Peter or David? I was just going to say, Aaron, that it, it just reminds me many times in the Bible, whenever they started building the temple, the people, the, the priests stopped counting what they got. And they actually had to even ask the people to stop giving because they were over... And, and I was thinking that's just such an indictment on, on we as Christians. We should be even more generous because we're not under the law in a sense. Correct. We should be so generous with what we do. And we're not. I mean, I'm chastising myself. We're not as generous as we should be. We yeah. really should be a lot more generous. And the other thing is, uh, David was just saying that um, John the Baptist, he was saying to the people, you know, if you've got two coats, give one away. We are so selfish in yeah. what we want in our own greed. And I think it's just, to me, it's a little bit of a, like a, you know, questioning myself, Vita, where are you in this? You know, you've got to look at yourself sometimes and say, you know, Lord, is this something I have to now, you know, get rid of that covet, in a sense, maybe covetousness, greed, whatever, because we have to be more generous. That's God's heart. He, so, he blesses us with so much. We are showered in his blessings. And we are so selfish in what we do in turn back to people. Thanks, Vida. The yeah, let, let, let's get personal for a moment. We probably all can really work on this. And I think we should. We should accept this as a calling from the Lord to be have the spirit of generosity uh, with all, with our time, okay? with all of all of our, our assets. Um, I, I like the way the uh, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, meodecha, is used in the Aramaic translation about a century before Jesus, where the Aramaic translated that as love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your property. You know, how do I love God with all my strength? It's not, you know, getting a big sword and a big shield and going on a crusade, um, as fun as that might be. It's, uh, it's um, you know, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. That includes your time and your family and your car and your pet cat and your money, you know, and, and uh, you know, even, even and your kindness. You know, let's also be generous with that, too. I mean, everything needs to be to have that spirit of generosity. And so that people turn around to look at us and go, who are you people? You, 
You always welcome people into your home. You're always very generous. You're always very kind. You're always very giving. You're always very suffering. You're always, you're always there uh, at, when, at, the, at the first to help people. Who are you? So well, I'm a follower of Jesus, and uh, he actually is ahead of me giving. You think I'm doing okay? You should wait to see what he's been doing. Um, and that's the sort of witness that we, we should have. And it starts with us. And we're all going to admit that we don't always do it, but may the Lord work on all of us. The last verses, 31, 32, and 33, sort of kind of sum up the intention of all of this, just as we get into the, um, the holy time of chapter 23. The Lord says, so you'll keep my commandments, right, as opposed to I just said them for fun, right? No, I've actually given some instructions. They're actually quite good ones, uh, so you should go out and do them. I am the Lord, okay, who's actually talking to God. Uh, of, of the universe. And you won't profane my holy name. Why? Because you'll actually be, be doing the things I told you to do. Right? If, I, if I tell you to be loving, if I tell you to be kind, if I tell you to be generous, you'll do that. And that will actually uh, not profane my name. So that I can be sanctified. I can be made holy among the people of Israel. God is already holy. And yet we participate in keeping his name holy, just like in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I like the way God does that. Just before we all want to get to know who's being holy around here, I did it first. I made you holy. You're a holy people. Now make me holy in front of everybody else. Okay? And, uh, and then the other, other calling card of the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Why? So that I could be your God. And it's like, you know, I, I'm God, the king of the universe. I know that. The angels all know I'm God, but I actually want to be your God. It's, a, it's not just a, a sit down on a throne and rule and reign. It's this intimate, I am your God, your majestic one, your divine presence, your redeemer. Very personal, uh, very loving, very powerful. And he wants everybody in his favorite place. Yeah. That's, yep. that's, that to me is a lovely thing. So not only do I love you and I want you with me, but this is where I... I'm happy, and this is where my favorite place is. So he brings his children back to Zion. Back to Zion. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Kate, for that. That's awesome. All right, guys. Uh, thanks very much. Next uh, week, I will be in Jordan. Sorry. So I uh, will not be able, we will not be able to have a study um, next week. But so you'll have two weeks to read up about feasts of the Lord, of which we've actually added a few. And that's an interesting thought, okay, that you actually can add feasts and festivals to the calendar. All right? So we'll, uh, now that we've made a holy people, now that we've got a holy priesthood, now that we've anointed everybody and made even a holy sanctuary, worked out what you can and can't give to the Lord and how the priests and their families should behave, now you get into holy time. This, this element that even time itself is holy, not just uh, things. And as we all know, holiness is contagious. It actually can contaminate you. So holy time can contaminate you too. And that's also a good thought. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, 
please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.